Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. What's up, Tommy? How are you, dude? Really good. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, man. Yeah, really well. All things considered, keeping my my head above water in these times. I'm actually reading your book for uh, ah, the I Chung. Yeah. for entertainment, and it's pretty amazing, man. I mean, this is a, a recount of your time in jail for um, yes. selling bongs, which I'm sure we'll talk about. If it's all right with you, I want to read you a passage from my book. Which I put right. out, which I put out last year, um, which is based on conversations from this podcast, and um, one of the sections is uh, on basically the people who are in the books, their heroes, um, and it, this is be real, um, good friend of yours, talking yep. ab- talking about you and your connection. I'd love to read this to you to start us off. So B says, sure. in the world of cannabis and activism within that world, Tommy Chong is definitely my mentor. I've often told him that. He was the one showing us how to freedom fight. Him and Jack Herrer, rest his peace, taught me a lot about the cannabis world, about the hypocrisy that exists within mainstream culture, and the reasons why it's been kept back for so long. I think Jack would be really proud to see how much more educated people are about cannabis culture nowadays and all the politics around it. Tommy and I have been very good friends for many years now, uh, and we've done each other many favors and worked together on many things, and it's always cool catching a smoke with him. 
I watch what he's doing in the cannabis industry, and I really believe he deserves all the success and opportunities being afforded to him. He's put in the work and even served as a martyr when the government made an example of him by putting him in jail for the amount of time that they did. He didn't bitch and cry about it either. He served his time like a man, and he did it for his son so his son wouldn't have a mark on his record or his life. Tommy didn't have to do that, but he took it upon himself to do it, and my respect for that man is beyond words. Um, and then he goes wow. on to talk about that's very Chuck sweet, D, pretty cool, huh? Yeah, very nice, very nice. Well, be real is a good guy, you know, no doubt about it. It's funny because obviously the name it took me, you know, many years for the penny to drop, and because it's right there in plain sight, be real, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and if ever there was like an embodiment of that concept, it's that dude right there, isn't it? Well, you know, the, the cannabis, it helps us be real. You know, it, 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 uh, it, it makes the truth so important, regardless of, you know, the, 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 reason, the implications or whatever, you know. And that's what happened with me when I went to jail. Uh, I could have w- wiggled my way out of it, you know. But they, they wanted me in there. And uh, when the government wants you, you, you know, that's what my lawyer friend, not my, not my, the lawyer I hired, but the lawyer across the street wasn't getting paid. He, he told me what to do. He said, go do your time, you know, and uh, move on with your life. He said, by the time you appeal and do all that crap, you know, you, you, know, you could have saved, served your time. And so I, I did that. And I also turned it into a, a religious retreat. I, I think I told you that the last time we were on, and uh, and 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 going not so much religious as as much as spiritual, you know, because that that's what's got me to where I am today, and that's what keeps me going, you know, because uh, I've been privy to a lot of uh, truths that uh, have always been available to us. But it just seems that people aren't ready, you know, because we're all in a learning stage, you know. I've been reading. Now, what I've been doing in between uh, podcasts is catching up on my reading. I got a stack of books that people send me, you know, that I haven't uh, got around to reading it. Because I had I trouble for a minute, but I found some glasses that work, kind of work. And uh, so I've been catching up on my reading. And uh, I, I, I really, I really enjoy living, <laughs> put it that way. Well, that's all there is, right? And yeah. if, if you're not engaged in the experience of it and the process of it, then, you know, what are you doing with this time, which is so precious as, as you know, like when you're in jail uh, and I have a cut, a, it's, it's a loose tangent, but go with me on this. So in 2013, I broke my spine and I had to spend three months basically doing what's called conservative treatment where I lay flat on my back in bed. I couldn't roll over or sit up or, or leave the bed. So I had three months to just lie there and meditate and think. And, you know, in the similar sense, you had nine in jail when you're in prison, when you're serving time, all you have is time. Right. And so it's how you use that time, which, you know, is the make or break in terms of how you're going to get through that experience and what you're going to get out of that experience. 
Well, what I did, uh, as soon as I got there, my uh, brother-in-law sent me the I Ching, you know, the book of changes. And uh, the first, when I threw the coins and, and I came to my chapter, the first thing, the first line says, you are in jail for a reason. You are in prison for a reason. Now, you know, it's a book. <laughs> you know, yeah, written thousands book, of years ago, book, right? Book yeah. of changes, yeah, 2,000 years ago. And all of a sudden, it's telling me, you are in jail for a reason. So right then I knew I was on something. <laughs> and then it went on to say that prisons are, are, are penitentiaries are, are uh, there for people to change their behavior. Now, I love that line because it doesn't anything right or wrong, good or bad. Uh, it just said you're there to change your behavior. And uh, and I thought about that and I said, yeah, I have. I, I will change my behavior because for a while there, I was kind of playing with the metaphysical world, you know touching it, reading it every once in a while, go to it uh, at times. But I was busy being young and being, you know, doing doing what people do. But when I went to prison, I, I, I had, like you say, you got time. And and when I was in there, I, I made friends. Of course, I, I, I ended up with a dog. That's your best guy that you hang with the whole time you're there. And uh, he had been in prison all his life. In fact, prison to him was like part of his his routine you know he would be out for a while then he'd get caught then he'd go to prison then he'd and it was always uh, the minimum security because he was always he made sure he told him, he taught me you know that uh, you know how to keep your nose clean and and, and stay out of trouble and and take advantage of the situation is this so the guy I, steve who you talk about in your book yeah that, that that's Steve. That's One Steve. of my favorite yeah. little observations, quickly, Tommy, is when you talk about so his first wife, I guess, was called Ruth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then when she leaves him, he changes the tattoo to Ruthless, which I just thought was the perfect joke. Like, that's just, you can't write that, can you? <laughs> Isn't it Ruthless? Yeah. <laughs> that's Steve. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he showed me. You know, he, he he just showed, you know, he had larceny. He, he was like, he was not rehabilitated in any sense of the way it word. And, and what he would do, he would he would game the system, of course. You know. I, I, on the other hand, I, I, what I wanted to do, I wanted to be the most, uh, the, 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 the A student in prison, you know, uh, not, not, I wouldn't, I couldn't snitch because uh, everybody was trying to snitch on me. So there was no one, there was no one there. And my sentence wasn't long enough that it would make any difference. Yeah. You know, although they tried, the, the prison tried to make, turn me into a snitch, you know, because uh, the first time I had a chance for, to make a telephone call, I phoned home, you know, it had been two weeks without talking to my wife, you know, which was, it was incredible because I had talked to her every day since we've been together every day for, for years and years and, and not having conversation with her for two weeks was seemed like an eternity. And so when we're talking on the phone, 
she says, how's it going? And I told her, well, you know, I'm making for everybody likes me because I, I'm who I am. And I says, and, and I said, even a guard came in my cubicle and uh, we chatted, you know, and, and, and so I never thought anything of it. I, I forgot that they listened to all the, the phone calls and not only listened to it, but they, they, they do it with the computer. So if you hit certain words, it, it, it raises a red flag. And so within minutes, basically after, no, but an hour after I hung up, I get called into what they call control, you right. know, where, where they're, everything's there. And, and, and I had to sit with the Gestapo. There was like a, the prison uh, secret police. Yeah. And they actually wore long Gestapo just, uh, uh, coats, you know. Like, like black leather the, jackets. Yeah, yeah. They actually uh, wore them. They, they looked the part and they wore the part. And so they, they asked me, they said, well, who's this guard that was uh, in your cell or in your cubicle? And I said, uh well I, I i never got his name i did but i you know i said i, I don't know just a guard what he looked like i said well he had a guard outfit on you know and <laughs> as vague as possible <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and and so they were really interested if i was going to snitch and I, had i snitched on the guard i would have been busy very busy but of course i didn't and as so, soon as they saw that i wasn't going to snitch they said okay you can go and uh, so I, I and, and by the way, the guard, his name was Garcia. And I, uh, a couple of years ago, we were doing a show around there, around that area. And he came to the show, the Cheech and Chong show. Wow. And he had just gotten out of prison himself. <laughs> it just goes he, to show, don't you? Nobody is um, protected. Well, and off oh, no, they know. You know, prison prison guards are notorious because it, it's for a lot of places. It's the shittiest job you can have, and so they they make extra money by dealing drugs and contraband yeah. and everything else. You know, I mean that's that's the way that's the way the, of the world. <laughs> what was the key lessons you took from your time in there? Because it must be a real window into like the microcosm of American society their prison systems and you obviously see so many people like yourself so wrongfully sentenced and in many cases i imagine for for much longer than you were in there was there like certain lessons of either positive or negative conclusions that you came away with well it's all positive <clears throat> because what what i did i made up my mind because it was a bogus charge and so I was going to be a model prisoner uh, because I was going to show every the authorities that uh, that uh, first of all that marijuana is not addicting. And so when they tried to they they tried to set me up right off the bat. They had people offer me weed, and the and the reward was that if I, if I took the bait, they would get time off their sentence. That that's the way it works. And so everybody, I had two or three offers a day, and 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 Steve was a good help because Steve would just shoo them away. He was like my bodyguard. Uh, but I I could have gotten I could have gotten high the first day I was in there had I wanted. But I also got drug tested. And every day afterwards, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I got yeah. drug tested almost constantly. 
constantly because they were looking for because they knew everybody knew that I, I was a bum rap. Everybody knew in the prison and the prisons know. And the thing is, the, here's a lesson I learned with prisons. It's separate from the judicial system. Totally. When the judge sentenced someone to jail, that's the end of the end of the judicial process. Yeah. Once you get into the prison thing, it, it's worse. Well, about the same as a communist country, because you have absolutely no rights whatsoever. And what, what they would do, they would take people on what they call uh, uh, diesel therapy. <laughs> have you ever heard that line? No. Diesel it sounds therapy. ominous, though. What it is, uh, in fact, they did it to this one guy. We called him Mr. Clean. He was a little Jewish guy that was in there for some kind of medical device law that they somehow inadvertently broke something. It wasn't financial. It was about uh, the unlawful advertisement. or so. I don't know exactly what it was, but the guy, you talk about guys that, me, you know, come on, I had a prison tattoo even before I went to prison. You know, I hung out at my house at, in Calgary was like a halfway house for people getting out of prison because they had nowhere to go. And, uh, and you know, my mom was very hip about it. And I think because my aunt had done time in jail. So, so I, I was definitely a, a, a guy that, that had, you know, was destined. To, to either visit or be in the prison. But Mr. Clean, as we call him, he was the opposite. This guy was sheltered. Uh, he had a phobia. He had a phobia against black people, I guess. And because the first time I met Mr. Clean, he was on the phone. There's a whole bunch of, where you phone, there's a phone, rows of phone on either side of the, the room. The whole room, it's like people on the phone. Well, there are two black guys. They're just talking to each other, you know. Hey, man, you know. And, and the black guys would talk not only loud but at a distance. They wouldn't go up next to each other and talk. They would yell across the room. Hey, motherfucker! You know, they'd uh, they'd be betting. In fact, they were talking about the Lakers and the and the Houston Rockets. The Lakers lost for the first time, and and Houston won. And they're they're yelling about that. <laughs> well, the little Jew, Mr. Clean, the little Jewish guy, put his hand on the phone. He turned around. He said, "Will you guys shut up?" Now these are big black convicts, and they not used to being, you know, because in in prison, making eye contact can be an insult. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Looking at somebody some, the wrong way. Yeah, telling someone to shut up, especially to their face. You know, will you guys shut up? And I, everybody was shocked. Well, the black guys, they they were shocked, but they kind of chuckled because they knew, you know, they could kill this guy if they wanted to. And, and but they also knew that if they even looked like they were going to be uh, uh, violent, they would end up in the hole right away. You know, yeah. this is prison. This is prison. So, so anyway, we got to. I got to know Mr. Clean quite well because in the morning when we, uh, before we did our chores, we'd all meet together, uh, like a little group, do the count 
everybody here okay. And then we'd separate to go to our, our various jobs. My job was sweet, eventually. I didn't have to work, but I, I, I wanted to work. I wanted to, to do the whole uh, experience. And, and I realized in my head, the way to do it is to concentrate on whatever you're doing and do the best job you can. Well, usually when, they're, when you speed, sweep, the whole idea is you check out a, a little uh, a dustbin in a, in a broom. And then you walk over to the pool room and you lay it against the pool room. Then you go and play pool all day <laughs> or until the count. And then you, at the end of the day, you pick up your broom and your dustbin and you bring it back to, to where you got it from and check it back in. Well, I was one of the only ones, not the only one, but one of the only ones uh, that took my job serious. And so I would be out and I'd find areas and I'd sweep. Sweeping is very, very meditative, you know. I find ironing is that too. I love ironing. Just get lost uh, in the task. Yeah, you get, but but sweeping too. Now you're 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 making a difference. You're cleaning. You're sweeping. And so I used to sweep those sidewalks almost too clean. <laughs> and I got to the point where guy, there was little areas where they smoke and throw their cigarette butts on the on the ground. I really got to the area where I'd wait for them to throw their cigarette butts and then sweep it up. Uh, it, it it was, and 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 the thing is. Everybody leaves you alone. That's another lesson that you don't get on the outside. You know, if I were to try to do anything, the only thing I did on the inside that 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 created interest was uh, I would practice my tango walk. I think I put that in the book. I would practice yeah, yeah. my tango walk. That's how uh, you and Steve get to know each other, right? You grab him and you say, "Let's go dancing." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, on the, and that was the only time that uh, that I created a crowd, you know. But 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 the sweeping, it it gave me satisfaction, and so now at home, that's my job. It's I a sweep. prison house train, you Tommy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I make my bed. I make my bed. I sweep the sweep the grounds. The only difference is I do it at, at my leisure, my time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and making the bed, and and I wash dishes. I'm a my wife cooks. I clean up the kitchen after. And uh, you you would talk about happy wife. <laughs> when I do uh, cameos, sometimes I get asked advice. You know, because Shelby and I have been together forever. What year did you looks, get married, Tommy? I'm guessing it was in the 80s. I think 88, something like that. Wow. So, yeah, you're coming something up on kind of 40 years. Yeah. We, half your uh, life. That's amazing. She, she, she vowed she would never marry me. She was my girlfriend, and, and she, would ne she never wanted to be a wife, she said, because uh, she just didn't believe in marriage until uh, the accountant or the lawyers told her that, if, if you're not married to me uh, and anything happens to me, she doesn't get anything. She can be written out <laughs> of the like, will. She's like, when can we book the reception? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. what happened. She said, she said, okay, I'm going to marry you, but you have to do everything. I had to get the, I had to get the priest. I had to do everything. And, and, and we, we did get married. <clears throat> but, but it's, 
happy wife. And, and that's what prison, you know, I really did learn uh, habits that I never had before, you know. Uh, I guess it humbled you big time as well, right? Humbled, yes, yeah. I wasn't that that cocky, you know, uh, out before that, you know. Like, like I know that if Cheech ever got incarcerated, he would have a hard time. <laughs> he would have a very hard time. One time, we we did get busted in Tampa, Florida, for obscenity, and uh, and they had Cheech in a in a holding cell. Both of us. And Cheech did not like the feeling at all. His dad was a cop at one time. Yeah. And yeah, Cheech, yeah. Cheech played a cop on television. And so so the last thing cops want to do is end up in jail. And 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 when we were in jail, he was very uncomfortable. Well, at first he was he was funny. He was funny. And he was teasing the guard. Oh jail ten D, he was acting gay. He said, Oh jail ten D, can we have some pink toilet tissue please you know <laughs> and the, and the guard would ignore him and then when then a couple of hours went by the guard comes up and points to Chiefs and says you come with me <laughs> amazing that put the and fear she, of god into him oh you should have seen the look on his face what what oh okay then i heard him talking you know my dad's a cop yeah lapd <laughs> as <laughs> they went to as down. They went, because we got in the elevator and you could see all the dents in the elevator, metal, metal sheet. But you see where people have fought, you know, some brawls, you see face implants all through there. So and it was Tampa, Florida. So it was the South. It was everything worked out OK. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was uh, quite an experience. Uh, when when and, you and, came out the gate, Tommy, when you're you know first doing Cheech oh. and Chong, are the authorities coming after you then? You know, because you're obviously like from the get go, you guys are taking stabs at you know the, the the system and authority, and and you know you're ridiculing and showing the hypocrisy of these people. Were you kind of public enemy number one from from the not, start, or not with the local cops? Because there's, especially LA, LA loved all the cops. They did. Cheech's dad. Cheech's dad became a big celebrity in the cop world because his son was Cheech, and oh yeah. Uh, in fact, we got I we we got when a, I don't know if it's in. I guess it's in the book. Um, Vanity Fair wanted to do a, an exclusive on me going to jail, yeah. so they hired a writer and a limousine to take me to prison. And we we're driving in the limousine and the limo driver was speeding. And so we got pulled over by the highway patrol. But as soon as they got pulled over, the guy says, I'm taking Tommy Chong to prison. The guy's, oh, Tommy Chong, okay. No On problem. Your <laughs> On your way, yeah. Yeah. It's wild. What a magical time. Was the chemistry immediate with you two? Um, or was it something you had to work at? Or was it just there from the moment you first hooked up and, and started jamming ideas well the very first time i met him i didn't know what he was you know we, uh, a mutual friend had got us together because i was looking for a, one more a guy in my improv group and uh and he said this guy's pretty funny so i went to, to meet him and and there was something very organic about everything you know very serendipity 
uh, when we met, we looked at each other and uh, he couldn't figure out what I was and I couldn't figure out what he was. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know really that he was Mexican until we ended up in, in Los Angeles because he sort of, he, he became a landed immigrant in, uh, in Canada. And, and Cheech is one of those uh, uh, chameleons. You know, he can just, wherever he's at, he can become part of that, 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 uh, that environment. And like he did in, in Calgary, he went, up to, he went to Calgary to work with a potter. Uh, you know, a guy throwing pots and making uh, uh, ceramics. And, uh, <laughs> and, and that. How's your day? <laughs> Well, he did really well, and then he went to uh, on a vacation to Banff, and he'd never been in the mountains or in snow before in his life. And so they take him up to the top of the mountain and put on some skis and send him down the hill, and he compound fractured one of his legs. And so he was on the crutches for for about a year and uh, healing in that. And that's how he ended up in Vancouver. He was a meditator, too. And so he uh, joined a, a meditation group, um, and and they were out in Vancouver. That's that's why he had, he ended up in in Vancouver area. But when we met, uh, I wasn't impressed until he showed up at the club. Because I, I was kind of been, kind of smiling. Because I knew what he did for a living, and I knew how much he got paid, which was nothing. And uh, in fact, he had to deliver carpets on the side to make some money. He was a laborer uh, with a, with a college uh, aspirations, <laughs> you know. And so we, uh, so when he came to see us, to see the club, the the thing, he he made an entrance. He came in with this gorgeous woman with a full length, length uh, mink coat on and uh, gorgeous lady. Uh, and Cheech was all decked up, you know, nice duds, you know. And come on, he looked like he owned the place. Presented himself like a pimp. Yeah. Yeah. He looked like he owned, like he owned every room he walked into. And everybody in the acting troupe, they were kind of, whoa. Oh, that's the guy. Oh, okay. Well, then he joined up, and he sort of like was very quiet. He called. He said he joined up as a writer, but uh, he joined up as an actor, <laughs> not not a not a writer. Uh, although he he would take part in the in the the group uh, the improv group thing. It was when we when the group when we got fired. My brother, we had to stop doing the the experiment because we we're losing too much money, and so she, so my brother said, we got to go back to the girls. And in other words, my acting chops were over. And Cheech was the only one that wanted to keep doing it, you know, because he he was getting into it, getting into the acting thing, and he was enjoying it and working with uh, beautiful girls, you know, that stripped down every night wasn't too hard to take either you know and but the, all the other actors you know they're ready ready to quit go back doing you know dancing on stage and and doing the doorman stuff and that but Cheech and I were the only ones that so we put a band together uh, and we had a drummer and an organ player and uh, 
because that was usually, you know, that was my my gig usually. Uh, used to be anyway, but we but when we went to our first gig, it was a battle of the bands, and when we when we got on stage, we started doing comedy, and the the crowd all gathered, came forward, sat down, just dug the hell out of our comedy, so much so we never played a note, we never went to the music. Amazing. And and uh, and that that night. That was uh, the day. That day was uh, when we created Cheech and Chong. You know, driving home, we were saying, "Well, what are we going to call ourselves? Tommy and Richard, nah. Marin and Chong, nah." I said, "Do you have a nickname?" He said, "Yeah, Cheech." I said, "Cheech and Chong." Bit Cheech of alliteration rolls off the tongue. It's perfect, isn't it? And it, uh, a linguist from UCLA once walked with us and said, it's very interesting how you took a first name and a last name and, and you put them together. And it's, uh, it was, yeah, she told us how, how in, you know, interesting and wonderful and strange and everything else. And then uh, as soon as we, we, we figured out her name, we played one club, one blues club uh, to, to make sure that we could, you know, our act would go really well in a, in a small club as well as a, a big uh, venue. And, and then I told Cheech, I said, we got to go to LA. And Cheech had just escaped from the state. So, so he had a sneak back in and, and no one expected the Mexican to sneak in from Canada. So yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Then, yeah. Back then you could, uh, the border was basically open. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no 9-11. There's no restrictions, you know. It depended on, you know, the time of day. And people were so lax, you know. And so Cheech actually used another guy's ID <clears throat> and got through, got through the border. And then uh, and then we, you know, tripped around. I, I kind of knew L.A. because I'd played music in Los Angeles at, at a couple of clubs. And, and so I knew the black the black scene and they were the only ones that would hire they'd have a floor show and they would hire comics and they would hire dancers and, and so when Cheech and I we went to Red Fox Club was the opening our first gig was at the Red Fox Club where we met the Lenny Bruce entourage Lenny had died years earlier and and this whole entourage was just looking for someone to follow <laughs> and and so one of them one of them, Tony Pascara, he, he ended up, he, he was our, our, our advisor more than anything, because he had, he, had, he had a heroin habit. And so he was uh, effective on certain days and not effective most of the time. And so Tony and I became really good friends, not Cheech. Amazingly, uh, you know, that Tony being a Chicano, you would think he would uh, he would hobnob with Cheech, but Cheech was a bit too young, and, and I was the main guy, you know, the writer and everything. And so Tony and I became really good friends. And I asked him a lot about Lenny, you know, and, and um, he helped our he helped our show. What he was more than anything, he was like our our truth teller, you know. Like we we'd do a gig uh, somewhere, you know. 
opening for some act and and we'd almost get a standing ovation they loved us so much but tony would always shoot us down he'd say yeah, you, you, you entertain a crowd big deal and, and i said well when do you think and when can we say we made it tony he says when those people line up outside the club are there to see you <laughs> not somebody else you know and uh and eventually that day came about, and, that, and that's, and I, th I remember what Tony said. And at the end of uh, Tony's life, by that, you know, we, we'd done all the records and we'd been on tour for seven years and then we started doing movies. And then when I did uh, Nice Dreams, I hired Tony as a writer. And uh, so I got him a nice, Actually, I, I guess I was kind of responsible for his demise too, because he had a steady paycheck coming in, and, right? And, yeah, and he was just buying crap with it, you know, buying the junk with it. But Tony, Tony was very funny. He was he, he'd been around Lenny enough, and he he was very, very cool, very smart guy, very hip. Yeah, I learned a lot of Tony. He was a real Pachuco, real low rider, you know. Cheech was a college kid, you know. And Tony was a real deal, and so Tony and I really got along good, you know, because we're basically the same, the same kind of upbringing. Then, and Tony had some the funniest bits ever. I I got him to write a script. In fact, I still got the script somewhere, where uh, don't <laughs> as. He, he'd been busted many times and part of his thing see back in the day they didn't want to put junkies in jail you know they they would do everything they could to keep from putting in jail because you're putting a sick guy in, into a, a prison yeah and they're going to be sick and they're going to be useless you know and especially if they don't have their stuff you know they're going to be horribly sick and so they the judge didn't want to put tony in jail and so they would so he had one job was he was like the night uh, caretaker at a at a uh, like a mental home uh, for rich people, you know, and like Reagan had shut down all the mental homes. And so if you had a problem, uh, they had this motel that was just strictly for people that have mental issues, you know. And uh, and these people weren't locked in. They could go, come and go as they please, but they were crazy. And so Tony wrote a whole book about it. I got the book. And, uh, and I try to do a little bit in Nice Dreams, mm -hmm. uh, where we were at a mental home. I, I just touched on a little bit of what Tony was telling me. Oh, my God. His stories, because he, he was a, really a comedic genius, because he would when he was his job in the the hospital or the halfway house or what do you want to call it was dispensing medication <laughs> now it's a job for a junkie huh <laughs> and, and, and 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 the people that were waiting for their drugs would line up <clears throat> and tony would be torturing him reading a book and he, as soon as as soon as it got to the time I think it was 12 noon is when Tony had to do it. The guys in front, they, they knew better. 
but as soon as it got close to 12, they would start fidgeting because they're, they're crazy, you know, as well as they needed. And they would <laughs> clear their throat and make noise. And then when it got almost 12, and Tony would let it go past 12, and they would, they would be panicking. Tony, Tony, it's, it's time, Tony. Tony, Tony, it's time, Tony. And so Tony would just look at the clock, just torture, you know. <laughs> He'd get up, make a move, then he goes to the bathroom. Just torture the hell out of him. But he, that was Tony. But he had, there was one guy in the place called First. His thing was, he had to be the first. So if you walked in, he'd be the first to, to greet you. Yep. And he was the he was the first to get his medication. He was the first to go to bed, first to get up, first to eat something. He he had that phobia. And so Tony did a whole line on, on Mr. First. And then he had another one, this uh, Lucy. Lucy was this very beautiful, I think she was like a, a rich heiress, you know, and but she was crazy and she was always pretending or in her mind she was pregnant. And she'd have a little doll and she'd have it under her dress. And, oh, oh I, I, I think my water broke. And, and then she would do this. And then all of a sudden the doll would come out. And that would be her baby. It was, they had all these crazies in there. It's like one for over the cookies nest, isn't it? Like, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's what it was. And so so Tony wrote that. I, I got the script here somewhere. and And now... I think my, my plan now is to uh, end the career with a, a movie company. Right. I want to I form a movie. I think I told you this. I, I want to form a movie company. And, like a production uh, company? No, actually, it'll be, a, it'll be a movie company that hires production companies. Right. I want to be, be the mogul. See, and I'll, I'll have, and the only thing I need is will be uh, unlimited uh, funds for for the for the budgets, and and that's why I'm on starting a a, a program where I want to become the richest man in the world. <laughs> and, you know, everybody laughs, but it's so, uh, you know, you can put your mind to anything; it can happen. Yeah, and especially especially if my motives are right and my motives are right because I want to uh, become the richest man in the world because I want to be able to to fund projects that last years not just months or or a couple of years but I want to I want to do a project where it goes for 10 years and the project the project is going to be you know that immigration uh you know the the lineup we had from south america the migration where everybody had a caravan from south america and they they walked literally walked from guatemala and el salvador carrying babies and kids and they walked the 1300 miles or 1400 miles to get to the border and to, to be turned back or be separated from your your family uh, i want to what I want to do is hire the marchers with my movie company and get them visas to come in and give them jobs in the movie company as extras or maids or whatever, whatever their abilities are. Uh, and, uh, and then I want to put the kids through school 
and acting school that they so desire, you know, performance schools. And I want to be able to build villages for these, uh, for the immigrants and then assimilate them all. And then I'll, because I want to show the world how we can use the, the movie industry to create a, a society that, that is without uh, uh, greed and, uh, and that kind of thing, you know, uh, we can do that, especially in America, because our laws are perfect for it. And, uh, and so that's, that's my aim uh, to do this. And, uh, you know, that's going to be my life's work from, from here on out, on down. And what, I, could, and I, what could be more countercultural and based on pure love and, and positive energy than that as well, you know, because obviously, historically yeah. speaking, Hollywood is the very institution of greed, isn't it? And to flip yeah. that on its head and go, well, actually, we can do all these amazing things with this instead. Yeah, yeah, because the, the Hollywood system is perfect. I mean, when they shot uh, um, the Ten Commandments, Cecil B. DeMille, they yep. hired, they literally hired the Egyptian army mm-hmm. as, as, as cast, you know, cast members. Uh, it can be done. And it took years. Of course, it went over budget. A, a lot of that was uh, publicity, you know, Elizabeth, oh, Cleopatra, Elizabeth Taylor demanded so much money, blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, I, I want to uh, show the world that See, Trump inspired me when he tried to do, overthrow the government. What he had, what everybody did, because everybody did naturally, everybody's got a cell phone. And on the cell phone is a movie camera. And so everybody took movies of themselves. Now, it's going to be used against him in court for the most part, or used for them in court, you know, if they weren't violent and they, and they got video to prove it, you see. And so what I, what I envision now is especially when I talk to the marchers, I'm going to be able to uh, get the video that they shot, you know, because you know they did. You know, you do it automatically. You got a cell phone, you're going to record everything. And so I want to gather all that video footage that they have and turn it over to the editors and and and, and then, uh, you know, cast certain people. Uh, uh, and what I, what I want to do is videotape the process you see and also got a plan too for the farm workers because i got a plan where we hire the farm workers as the movie project and they're paid by the movie actors and then we'll job them out to the farmers themselves although we will be paying them for the for the movie and the farmers will be paying them for their labor and and the farmers will be have will be forced to pay them a uh, decent wage uh, for for the work because it's going to be documented and and the health care and all that stuff that comes with it you know accommodations health care and visas work visas you know for these for these very essential workers you know uh, and and so I I, I envision uh, the camera being used in in so many positive ways you know because what's happening in america right now and i think trump's a good uh uh uh, product 
of what happened is that uh, the greed has overtaken the the sensibilities or the decency of 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 the republicans for sure and uh it's profits like over people isn't it now that's clearly all it's about yeah and 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 the thing is when you when you start getting that kind of craziness you know that that love of gold you know the bible always taught you know says you know root of all evil is money uh when, when you get caught up into that 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 system there's no end to it yeah. you can never make enough money and and it's a sickness and so what i want to do is document all that sickness and talk about it you know and then then have it and then the other and thing deconstruct it and flip it and i love it yeah and then have my own channel that's another thing too that we it's available now I, 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 right now, if I want to, I could buy, there's so many channels that are available, you know, because they're not making it. I want to have my own Tommy Chong uh, channel so that I don't have to go to Netflix or anybody else. I'm going to be showing my product on my TV. So there's, there's no what ifs or maybe we should, you know, sponsor, none, none of that crap, you know. And if I do that, I know that I, I could very well become the richest man in the world. And, and if I do that, the, the, the way, especially at my age too, because like with Christmas coming, you know, people say, what do you want for Christmas? I don't want anything. <laughs> you know, I've been on the planet long enough. I got everything I need. And so I always tell people, you know, they, they don't know what to buy me as well. Then, just buy me a book. Buy, find a book that you think I might like. I got a shitload of books that I have. You can read, never have I've... too many books, right? It's just the time to read them all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, so, so I can see myself. And and, and once you steer people into the right area, you know, uh, like Elon Musk has done that, and. Uh, and I, and I wish Bezos of Amazon, I, I wish he, he had more thing or Bill Gates or any of those dot commerce, you know, because yeah. what, what happened to these guys, they get so wealthy that they, they get paralyzed. Mm -hmm. They can't move. They can't move. They don't know what to do. They move, you know, because the money's coming in from both angles, every angle, you know, it's like an avalanche, like a flood, you know, they don't know what to do. And so you got people hired, you know, to, to move the money around or to hide it or to make more money and, or to steal it. Yeah. You know, damn well, every, every, all these rich people, there's people embezzling the shit out of them, yeah. <laughs> out of them because they got so much money coming in. They're never going to miss it. But yet I, I've been around them. And, and yet these are the same people that will walk, park their car on the street and walk a couple of blocks just so they don't have to pay the, the parking attendant. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. or they'll take a, a bill and they'll go through the bill to make sure that, oh, tips included. Don't worry. Don't give a tip. Tips included. You know what I mean? It's re Yeah, it's really funny that the, the wealthiest are often the tightest. <laughs> yeah. I um, I yeah. didn't finish the book, Tommy. I've got about 20 pages left. But do you talk in the book about or did I read this somewhere else? Did you share a cell with Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street yeah. dude? I, I did. I did. Yeah. What I don't was know he like? He was great. He's a he's a genius, but but you know just on the wrong path. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> all. That's all. Uh, greed. And, and more than anything, uh, his problem was he was addicted to quaaludes. Right. That was his. Even in his, even in his movie. Yeah. Yeah. He was addicted to quaaludes. Cocaine. He tried cocaine. He did cocaine and, and debauchery, you know, and he paid for it all. The Wolf of Wall Street in the movie, it shows you how he paid, paid a price for it all, you know. But uh, I tried to hook up with him later. A friend of my wife's is, uh, uh, she's connected to the Bidens and everybody, uh, and Lynette, and, and she was really connected to Hunter Biden and his art, you know. Well, she, Lynette found out about me and Jordan right away. She goes, oh, let's have a bit, let's have a, a, a dinner. Reunion. Where are they now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's have a reunion, and I, I want to do a documentary of Jordan, and so. I said, okay, so we, Jordan and I got together again, you know, it was really, he was, like I said, he, he was a genius. He always had a couple of guys around him. He'd be play, playing backgammon with one, talking to him. You know, he can do a lot of multitasker. Uh, he, he knows how to fly a helicopter. He took lessons and he learned how to fly a helicopter. And he's purchased one of the largest boats only to have it sunk in the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. Uh, his life is just one adventure after another. But he's still, you know, he's still got that uh, whatever it is. I'm guessing. No, nah, in fact, no, I know he's got the same uh, problem that a lot of people have, uh, the short man problem, you know. Yeah, and, and uh, no matter how much money he's got, it's not going to put any height to him, you know. And rather than to be comfortable with it, he's kind of has a chip on his shoulder, you know. But like I say, he is a genius. He 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 was in, I think he finished high school when he was like 13, something like that. And he was ready to go to university and become a doctor. And he told me this out of his own lips. He said, uh, they had a, Everybody in the auditorium and the the dean of the school got up and he said, listen, if you're here to make a lot of money, get up and leave now. And Jordan got up and left. <laughs> he did not want to he did not want to become a doctor. He wanted to become wealthy. And he did. And he did. And uh, had he used his genius in a positive way, he'd be like Elon Musk, you know. That that that's that's where he's at. But because he used it in a very negative and sort of a selfish kind of way. But his stories were incredible, man. Every night it was like, can you imagine? Uh, every night I'd get a new adventure of the, of the Jordan, and he he was like bonfires of the vanity, you know that that book. And yeah. he was he was that guy, you know. Uh, he he was he was that guy. He's a very cool guy. I haven't talked to him for a while. But when he got out of jail, he, he pulled his car in front of my house because we were both uh, uh, on probation. We couldn't hobnob with each other, you know. That's a no-no. So he yells from the car. He goes, I, I sold my book. Yeah, I, I wrote a book. I sold it. Martin Scorsese is going to make a movie. I sold Wolf of Wall Street. And I'm up in, in my balcony hey way to go jordan way to go yeah it was it was quite a guy my wife 
it was very charming. My wife likes likes every woman that meets him. They 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 like him right away. He's got that boyish charm, you know, mm-hmm. and and he's got a lot of money, and that's very attractive to women. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's amazing. I mean, out of all the st- great storytellers and adventurers that you've met and spent time with, who. Who for you has just been like, maybe from a fan point of view or just, you know, in an admiration point of view, who's like the greatest raconteur you think you've come into contact with in, you know, in your incredibly rich and varied life? Is there one that stands out above the rest or a couple? Just like a proper modern day Renaissance man? Well, you know, I guess, I guess it would have to be like, for a while there was Lou Adler, you know, I mean, yeah. he was the re- the record guy that made Cheech and Chong, basically took Cheech and Chong and put us on the map. Uh, but before Lou Adler, I, I'd known Barry Gordy, Motown. And so I, I, Barry Gordy, uh, he was the one that got me started being Chong and Cheech and Chong. Was your because, band the uh, first interracial band on Motown? Am I right in thinking that? That's That's right. We were the first interracial uh, with white guys, with me. Well, near white, me. (laughs) (laughs) Halfway, they kind of eased into it. (laughs) And and Uh, the original name of that band, is that right that you were going to go down that avenue? That's so funny. Isn't that great? Four ends and a C. (laughs) Yeah, you can't can't say that anymore. (laughs) That was way before, way before the rappers, way before anybody. Outrageous, yeah. <laughs> Outrageous, yeah. I met, I met Muhammad Ali too, and uh, he he was a, a great inspiration. Uh, Nelson Mandela was another. I never met Nelson, but I, you know, when I went to jail, I kept thinking Nelson did eighteen years. Man, I could yeah. do nine months. Yeah, uh, that's a freedom Nelson fighter, Man- right there, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I was involved with discovering the Jackson five 
and so I. How did I, that come about? It, Tell us that story, if you if you wouldn't mind. We uh, we were we had a gig. We we were on the Chitlin circuit uh, with the Dajamama know about me, my song, and we were playing in Chicago, and we we're playing. We double billed with uh, Jerry Butler, and and there was Jerry Butler. Uh, 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 the Vancouver's or four ends in the sea <laughs> and and uh, a group from Gary, Indiana called uh, the Jackson five plus Johnny. That was the name of their billing. And they had won a contest, a high school contest. And, and the, the winner of the contest got to uh, open for uh, Jerry Butler and Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's. And that wasn't the first two either. Uh, Cheech and I once we we had a thing, but anyway, the, the Jackson Five. So so we uh, we heard Michael for the first time, saw him, the little guy. He was short for his age. He grew up later, but he was a tiny little guy when we met him, and uh, sing his ass off, dance his ass off, and he had that high voice. Uh, little guy, he was an adult actually when we met him. Because he he dressed like an adult, acted like an adult, little hat, little everything, and, and, and the older he got, the younger he got. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when it's, he died, he was like a little kid. You know? It's a strange, strange story that one, isn't it? How that panned out. Yeah. But then, so did you go to Barry and say this is this group you should check out, or? Well, I never. Bobby Taylor. It was his uh, apartment that they stayed in. Right. And so Bobby, Bobby said to them all, uh, Joe, well, come to Detroit, man. I'll, I'll get you signed with Motown. And so they stayed at Bobby's house for our apartment for about a month, a good month. Well, the whole family. <laughs> the, well, except for the women. Yeah. Uh, the girls stayed in Gary, but all the boys and Joe were there. And when the Motown gave them their contract, Joe brought the contract to me. Because I was the only white guy or the near white guy that he knew. Bobby Taylor and Joe showed up with a contract. What do you think? And I, I took the contract. Says, Feels good to me. <laughs> Added it back. Now, think, you know, retrospect, we could have went to Barry and said, listen, we're managing this group. And I think uh, they, they would be a, a nice home here. But see, I, I was never... Never, it was never about money. It was all about making it individually, you know. That was your trip, was it? Is yeah. That, is that yeah. why you wound up leaving the group and going off and doing your own thing? Is because you wanted to forge your own path? Eventually, I got fired from the group. Right. You know, and then when Barry found out about it, he, he called me up and he says, Tom, it's been a mistake. You're not fired. And I told Barry, I said, you know what? I think I, I think I'm going to stay fired. <laughs> I said, I told Barry, I said, I want to become a Barry Gordy. I don't want to work for one. And Barry says, I can, he says, I can appreciate that. So he gave me a nice severance uh, bump and uh, off to California. And I stayed in California for a while with, with my uh, girlfriend. And then eventually my wife, I had, I had my, my duels, <laughs> my dual job happening there for a while and, uh, and then we went to i had to go to vancouver because of uh of the clubs we had a the clubs were kind of having a problem and so 
That's this is another thing that I read is you started the first strip club in all of Canada. Is that right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Oh, Western Canada for sure. Amazing. I don't know about the rest. Yeah. Oh, no, I think all of Canada, I think, because Canada is very puritanical. And we, we did it with finger, with uh, body painting. It was body painted, the naked body. And, and then after that, the psychedelic the, strip joints. Love it. Well, when they found out, you know, it was a pure, Canada is very pure, you know, very church oriented. And that's why they had a Sunday law, you know, you know, you couldn't drink or everything had to close down on Sunday. And it still does in Canada. And, and the, the government controlled the alcohol, you know, and, and that's what they're doing now with the weed. You know, I, I can't have my weed up in Canada because of a celebrity law. And, you know, they're looking right at me when they said that no celebrity endorsements, <laughs> which makes no sense whatsoever. You know, it's a medicine. But we're, we're, we'll fix that coming up. But, yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> yeah, Motown. Yeah, Barry Gordy was the guy <clears throat> that, that got it. And when I got to Vancouver, I, I really tried to be a songwriter, but, you know, for some reason, I'd rather, I'd, I was a bodybuilder, you know, and so, and when you think about, it, you know, everything was heading toward Up in Smoke, the movie, <laughs> you know, our, our live performances, you know, and all the clubs, Cheech and Chong, we kept entertaining everybody, and then. But I always wanted to do movies, you know, that was my whole goal. And so I wrote a movie first and then Cheech and Lou said, well, you know, Lou said, okay, I'll, I'll get you a movie deal. And then Lou uh, not only got us a movie deal, but he got himself a job as a director. And we tried another director, but it, it didn't work, you know. And so Lou actually, I directed it. Uh, and wrote it and Lou was sort of like he did with the records you know Lou never wrote anything but he would arrange and produce he was a great producer and so I would we would do a bit send it to Lou Lou would listen to it send it back with some notes hey, it's good how about this how about that always suggestions and then we would take it and change it however we wanted to change it so uh, Lou Adler was a big, big influence on, on that one, especially with the movie. And yeah, so I mean, he was just the king of that scene as well, wasn't he, at that time? He had his fingers yeah. in so many of the most exciting everything, projects. Everything. The only thing, he wanted to call it Cheech and Chong's Greatest Hits because he wanted to put his records in there somehow, you know. But I went home and I wrote a song, uh, Up in Smoke, and one night, you know, I sat at home and diddled and probably the best song I've ever written. Oh, Does Your Mama Know About Me is up there, too. But Up in Smoke was, was quite uh, quite a thing because when I sang it for Lou and Cheech, Cheech says, I got to put the Mexican stamp on it, but that's the title of the movie. And sure enough, that the was the title of the movie. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Tommy, I've got to tell you as we approach the end, this has been amazing, and thank you so much for you know your time and and sharing your story so generously. My introduction to you, which I wanted to share with you, is uh, National Lampoon Senior Trip, which is a strange one. But I was a kid, and I remember I got switched onto that, and you were the the bus driver, Red. And you'd be like, that's why they call me Red, man. I'm immune. And I just remember laughing so much. I was only about 11 or 12 when I first saw that film. And that was my introduction to the, you know, the Tommy Chong character. And I was like, this is incredible. And then I went and you know, checked out Up in Smoke and all the others. But it was National Lampoon's senior trip as Red, the bus driver. And then you, you party to death. You, you you know, you pass out on the bus and the, the kids are, this is him, man. It's Red. King. <laughs> Did you have a good time on yeah. that shoot? Do you remember that? I, you know, I had a, it was the first time that I'd gone away from Cheech, you know, and, and, uh, and, and I had my son with me, you know, and Paris, he had a tiny little bit in there. Uh, I wanted to, to be more in, into the, well, you know, my wife actually wanted to take Paris with you and, and uh, I wanted to get more of Paris in there, but yeah, you know, I really enjoyed it. I, I learned a lot. Um, and that the one actor, what's his name? Uh, Hurt Locker. Yeah, Jer a, Jeremy Renner. Is it? Is that his name? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 He was a, he was a star of the yeah of of the senior trip. And there's that a couple of the guys movie. from like Kids in the Hall, and it had a really yeah. interesting cast. Yeah, they had. They were trying everybody. Yeah, they, they were trying everything. I really enjoyed it. Uh, there was a one. I added one thing. It was that when I when I came up with the bus and the bus skidded into the into the thing. Yeah. You know. Well, they they did that with the with the cable. I didn't know how they they would do that, but but they hooked the cable up to the axle, and so when the bus came around there, they just yeah. It looked like the bus did it himself, but they they used a tractor and they pulled that that rear end of the bus around. It was such a good entrance you know it's amazing and that was that was probably the only the only other thing at the end of the movie they they paid like 10 grand to have me back to raise my fist you know mm -hmm. but i was covered and you know at the time that was the first non-cheech and chong movie that i did you know we we're right on the top so i said to the to the director i says you're not going to see my face he said no just a hand I said, well, it can be any hand, right? And he said, yeah. I said, okay. But so let's put someone else in there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't know if, if you want to call that ego or what, but I'm a director too. Yeah. You know? And so I, you never use an actor when you can use a, a stand-in or someone else, you know, because you never know what's going to happen to the actor, you know. So, so I, that was the only, only, I, I never did it. I don't know. I never heard from those guys again, you know, so obviously it was a one and done situation. I think that but movie I, is one of the most underrated teen comedies ever. I think it's so good, but it's a proper cult, like underground film that so few people, certainly in the UK, like so few people know about it, but you even get in the earache in my eye you get in the song don't you in the movies well mama talking to me trying to tell me how to live that's in that film yeah. too that was the first time i heard that oh really yeah 
Oh, that's right. That's right. No one talking. Yeah, it's in the movie. I got to see those movies again. I watched the Corsican Brothers. I was doing a signing up in uh, uh, St. Louis Obispo uh, last last weekend, and uh, I they had Corsican Brothers on the big screen. I could hardly sign. I'm watching the Corsican Brothers. Total memory lane. Oh man, on the high definition. That looked incredible. The costumes and the sword fighting, and you know, it looked like a. It was. It was like a well done uh, uh, sword fighting swashbuckling movie. Yeah. You know, I grew up with those movies. Errol Flynn and, and, style. Yeah, yeah. I grew up with those, and I looked at that, and I thought, oh shit! But that was a movie that broke Cheech and I up. You know, Cheech did not want to do the movie. How long were you kind of, you know, um, what would the term be? Estranged from each other. Estranged. We were estranged after that movie. Almost seven years, something like that. Maybe longer. What we got to, we got back together in '08. Okay. So that, so, so that that movie happened in uh, Corsican Brothers '81. And so we'd been apart from 81 until 08. So there wasn't so any, that's like 27 years. So that, was there much like personal, you know, private interaction or was it literally just the only see you act, see you? It, <laughs> The only interaction we had, see, Cheech and I, we, when we split, we, we differed on so many things, you know. I, I loved doing stand-up. He had no interest in doing stand-up. So when we split, I ended up, ended up doing stand-up. And then I ended up having my wife do stand-up with me. She became my partner. And or at least co-stars, co, co you know, she would do her, her own bit and I'd do my bit. And then we'd, we'd dance together. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't until uh, around 07. Actually, we tried to get together 03. And then I got put in jail and that stopped everything. We were yeah. going to get together to do a movie, another movie in 03. And, but instead I went to jail and then I Did got he on. reach out to you around that time though. Was he, is he like a friend? He was there. We'd always been tight. When I started doing stand up, uh, I, I stole a bit from uh, Sam Kennison. Mm -hmm. Sam used to have a telephone handy and he had, He'd tell, guy, yeah. he'd tell some guy. He'd tell some guy. Girlfriend's you know, on the phone, right? Yeah, girlfriend. Get her on the phone. Hey, you bitch, you cunt, you whore. You know? <laughs> you'd do that, but with Cheech, would you? No, what I'd do, I'd say, uh, I'd phone Cheech up. Cheech, everybody wants to say hi, Cheech. Everybody, I'd hold the phone up. Everybody, hi, Cheech. You know, and uh, I'd just let him, you know, and sometimes I'd wake him up. And, and then, then he started making noises like he wanted to get paid <laughs> and, and so and so i i, I quit that bit <laughs> it's but, it's funny uh, isn't it when you're part of a double act like it's such a unique relationship it's kind of like you know you're bound for the rest of your lives whether you want to be oh, or not you are and obviously you've done he, so many fantastic things together but yeah he's in uh in winnipeg right now shooting a movie with woody harrelson Nice and uh, and yeah, uh, you know, Cheech was torn, you know, because he 
he wasn't thrilled doing the Chicano, you know, the low the the low rider, you know. In fact, he only did it really one time, you know. The up and smoke was the only time. Every everywhere else, he was easing away from that character until we did the Corsican Brothers. Then there was a total thing, a total departure for both of us. And that, that was our swan song uh, that we ended up. The, the, the problem with, with, with Cheech, like Cheech says, you know, I, I always wanted to keep the act together again. But the problem was is that whenever I would write anything, I'd make him the star. You know, he was a star. And up in smoke, you, you can basically say he was a star of the show. And uh, Nice Dreams and all the rest, you know, he was, he, he was front and center. It wasn't until we got to the Corsican brothers that he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it. And then he wanted to be a Spanish character, you know, that we 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 go our separate ways and then he comes back. He's He's been to Spain and now he's Spanish and I'm like a, a, a revolutionary, you know, uh, and and then we we got together in Aspen. It was the first time Cheech and I, and I just got out of jail, and so they wanted me in Aspen and Cheech, and they were uh, paying a, a special tribute to uh, 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 Jim Carrey, and so they wanted Cheech and I to perform. And so Cheech had been Don Johnson for years. And so I, so Cheech, you know, I had no problem. Cheech said, uh, so what do you, he didn't really say what do you want to do. He was actually that character. And so I said to him, I said, well, let's, let's do Harry and Margaret. Now, Harry and Margaret, Cheech puts on a wig and he's a, uh, he, he's a woman. He doesn't have one word. He just looks at me, you know, when I'm describing a porno movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, so I said, well, let's do Harry and Margaret. Cheech, he didn't want to do it. He did not want to become Cheech. And so we went on stage. And so we started, I, because I'd been doing stand-up for, for years, I had an act. And so I did my act. And in the act, I, I kind of knocked him and Don Johnson. You know, I sing Up in Smoke. You know, and, and and then I make up lyrics. You know, where you 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 go to the um, the record store. You know, blockbusters rent a Cheech and Chong tape. Get back home, smoke a big doobie. You forget you got the tape. You end up watching the Discovery Channel, <laughs> and it's a show about two frogs fucking. And you start thinking, gee, Cheech looks funny without a mustache. And who's that frog fucking him? It looks like Don Johnson. <laughs> then you bring the tape back uh, uh, a month later. You bring it back and pay a hundred dollars. And, and Cheech was on stage all the time. I'm singing that, and he's behind me. And he was like, he didn't know what to do. He was, he was trapped. He was like in in a cage, and he's walking back and forth. It was it was so funny. But I realized now, you know, that he really wanted to become an actor. That's what, that was his thing. He wanted to become an actor. He wanted to be able to do other characters. He didn't want to be, you know, uh, buttonholed into that one one character. Now, me, on the other hand, I love my character. I still do. You know, that's the same, you know, the version of it for uh, uh, 
that 70s show, you know, yeah. and well, Red, Red was really a version of Chong, you yeah. know, only he's a big old uh, bus driver. So, so I, I you know, and, and then, then I also realized that, you know, I have I, the advantage I had beside my height was the fact that I, I am a musician, you know, I am a songwriter. I am a, uh, all, all, all of that, you know, I've done it on my own with other people, you know, and, and then Cheech, he would like to say, you know, that, but you gotta have, you gotta put in the, the, the years of playing guitar, you know, before you reach this, <laughs> this status, you know, because and not only years, but hours and hours on stage, you know, under every circumstances in the world. Like I just watched a, a documentary of ZZ Top. Yeah, know? little old band from Texas. Yeah, and I, I love, love it. But all the documentaries I watch, Gordon Lightfoot, ZZ Top, all that, hours and hours and hours. of, And it's not slogging away. It's you're having fun. Yeah. So much fun. You don't want to stop playing. When I was a kid, I used to, sometimes have to bring my amp on on the bus in calgary and then walk a couple of blocks with a with the amp and the guitar and get up to uh, get up to my friend's house we we're going to spend the night and we would literally play guitars until we went to bed and then when we woke up we'd reach over and grab the guitars and start playing again because you love it yeah, and sometimes we'd we'd pick up the phone, phone a girl, or a girl would phone and say, "Hey, listen to this." Put the phone down, and three hours later, you forgot the phone's down, you know, and you're playing. Oh, the phone's there. You pick it up. Hello, and they're still there. <laughs> <laughs> that see that that's that's the world I came from, you know, and I'm very happy, very happy with it. Dude, it's been an amazing life, and there's plenty more left. You know, obviously, you're telling me earlier on about all the things you still want to do, and I have great faith you'll achieve them. I want to ask you for one final question before I let you go, if that's okay. Um, who's the best person you've ever lit up with? Or your favorite? Most, most probably the most talented and most famous it has to be George Harrison. Amazing. It has to be the Beatles, yeah. George. And it wasn't an accident. You know, a couple of, I was in a room once with, with John Lennon and uh, he didn't smoke. He was sitting at the, on the floor actually in this bedroom. And, uh, and Rod Stewart came in and I offered him a toke, this stinky old Mexican weed I had and Rod turned it down. And then I, I took it up and I walked out in the hallway and I met Jack Nicholson. And of course I said the stupidest thing you can say to an actor, you know, and, and he just brushed me aside. Oh, um, no, I thought Jack would be cool. Was he a little bit standoffish, was he? Oh, at the, he didn't know who I was. You yeah. know. And, and Jack ended up being very cool. You know, he ended up. But at the time, he didn't know who I was. And I, and I was that, that fan from hell. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but George and I, we've had a couple of, of, of moments. Where he played on uh, uh, Basketball Jones. He played the intro to Basketball Jones. In fact, I, that's another thing I want to do with Cheech and Chong. I want to do a play, and I want to call it Basketball Jones. And, and, and I want to do a story about 
uh, you know, a guy that had a basketball Jones, and then do a, do a musical of it. Yeah, that's I, I figured that's what that that'll be my next uh, to do thing with with, with Cheech and John. Bump it to the top of the list. Yeah, George Harrison, yeah. man. I'm going to be watching the Get Back documentary this weekend. I'm yet to see it, but it looks amazing. And he Doesn't just seemed, he just seemed like a beautiful man, you know, just a sweet, sweet soul. They had that energy. They had that that great energy. Paul, he kind of, uh, you know, he's the only Beatle I haven't met and really got high with. And he's the only Beatle that really was a pothead before anybody else. You know who turned uh, the Beatles on? Did I ever tell you that? Bob Dylan, right? Yep, that's Bob. Yeah, good old Bob. Now, Bob, I, we had a... I didn't smoke a joint with Bob, or did we? I think we did. We had a sauna. We did a sauna together, and I think we smoked up in the sauna. Yeah, Cheech and I and Bob. We played basketball one-on-one. And in fact, I blocked one of his shots and put his ass on the ground. <laughs> Get out of here with that, that weak shit. <laughs> Would you do another book like about the entirety of your life? Obviously, the I Chong one is very much about the prison experience. Would you do like a more general memoir or is that not really on Look, the top I'm, of the list? I'm definitely looking at uh, uh, I'm reading books now and, and that's in the back of my head. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have to. Have so to. many and stories, I think, mate. I think, I think, yeah, yeah, I, I, I have to, I have to, because I got a, I got a, uh, I owe my Shelby, I owe Shelby a, a book uh, on her, because she, she really is my, uh, my muse, you know, all her life, you know, when I met her, she was 16 years old, she's uh, ended up being my next door neighbor. But uh, we we're just friends, you know, and, and I owned a nightclub. So so she she, she would, uh, b- you know, visit me, you know, come to our gigs. And, you know, she was like a, a fan. And then, uh, you know, she was so beautiful. You know, we ended up being lovers. And now we're, we've been together ever since. I got to write a book about her because uh, she, this weekend, uh, my my son took me up to St. Louis Obispo, and I had a sign. I can't drive anymore, you know. My eye, I got bad vision in one eye, and so uh, we had my son's uh, daughter, uh, stepdaughter, you know, in one car. My son and his wife and the kids in another car, but no Shelby. And so I called Shelby, and she's home alone. She's very lonely, and. I can feel it, you know, because we're we're so together, you know, working everything, and then to be taken apart like that. That's how I felt when Cheech and I left, you know, because he, he, I did a movie. Uh, uh, what's it called? Far um, Out Man, and uh, and I had Cheech in in there, just a little cameo. And just that one little cameo was, oh man, teach we, you know, we should be together. <laughs> you know, this this is so smooth. And but teach didn't want it. He said he'd do the cameo, and that's it. So he really wanted to get away from get away from me. But I was, uh, but Shelby, and 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 I think I think Shelby might have been one of the reasons that that teach and I broke up. 
because when we did the Corsican Brothers, I put Shelby in, and his wife, Ricky, in the movie. And they were the main, the, the Fifi's. And, uh, and then Cheech and Ricky got divorced right after that movie. <laughs> so I, I think I was part of the divorce settlement. <laughs> I, think, I think Ricky got custody of, me, custody of me because that was kind of the end of the, the, the Cheech and Chong comedy uh, era, you know. Well, mate, thank you so much again. Um, this has been great. I'm just, yeah, honoured to have you on the show. And uh, it's a great love story. And you seem like an amazing couple, an inspiring couple that everybody yeah. can aspire to to be like and yeah. enjoy. When you find a love like that, that's the rarest and specialist of gifts, right? It's incredible. And, and, and it deserves a book. It deserves a book. It, it, it deserves, yeah, I was, yeah, you know, she was, kind of said you know i mean she's very proud and she's incredible i mean her artistry is is unbelievable but but she's also she's also a very fragile <laughs> you know and she's been been my my cheerleader my rock my muse my hairdresser my designer my everything she is really there's a song called you're my everything that's her that's her. So you're right. I'll do the book. In fact, I'm going to start that book right now. I love it. You're a lucky man, Tommy. Um, and I'm a lucky man for getting to hang out with you today. I've loved it. And I hope we can do one of these again sometime. You let me know when the next project's on the horizon and let's reconvene. Okay. Okay. Well, you'll probably re read about it. And when, when you do hook up, let's, let's, let's talk again. Amazing. You're a gent. Take care. Thanks, Tommy. Thank Have a great day, thank brother. Thank you, brother. Up in smoke That's where my money goes In my lungs And sometimes up my nose When troubled times Begin to bother me I take a toke and all my cares go up in smoke. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 